Do you want to stay more focused on the right goals in your life or even just figure out what the right goals are for you? Do you want clarity? Do you want better work-life balance? Well, you're in the right place. Welcome to Success Through Failure. Welcome to the Success Through Failure podcast, the show that reveals failure as your path to success. You'll listen to intriguing interviews with some of the most successful people on the planet and learn how their failures became a launchpad for success and how yours can too. Here's your host, former Division I All-American wrestler, former Division I head coach, speaker, and personal coach, Jim Harshaw. Welcome to another episode of Success Through Failure. Today, I bring you Bonnie St. John. Do you get motivation, clarity, or inspiration from the Success Through Failure podcast? Then don't be so selfish. Share the motivation with your friends. Go to jimharshawjr.com slash share, and there you'll find a simple page with just three buttons. One to share the podcast on Twitter, one for Facebook, and one for LinkedIn. Click any of the buttons, and you'll have the option to either share the pre-written tweet or message or rewrite your own. That's it. Super simple. It'll just take a few seconds unless you're selfish and you want to keep all of this awesome inspiration to yourself, go ahead and let your friends in on the secret. They'll thank you. And if nothing else, you'll have something cool to talk about the next time you get together. Just go to jimharshawjr.com slash share. Despite having her right leg amputated at age five, Bonnie St. John became the first African-American ski medalist in winter Olympic competition. In recognition of her historic achievement, Bonnie was quoted on millions of Starbucks coffee cups and was honored with her portrait at Oxford as a distinguished alumna. In addition to her success as a Paralympic athlete, Bonnie is a best-selling author, a highly sought-after keynote speaker, and leadership consultant for Fortune 500 companies. She graduated magna cum laude from Harvard University and won the Rhodes Scholarship. Bonnie's been featured extensively in the media, including The Today Show, CNN, CBS Morning News, NBC News, PBS, NPR, New York Times, People Magazine, Oprah Magazine, Forbes, and Success Magazines, just to name a few. The author of seven books, Bonnie co-authored her latest work, Micro Resilience, Minor Shifts for Major Boosts in Focus, Drive, and Energy, with her husband and former entertainment industry CEO, Alan Haynes. And for the listener, if you don't have time to listen to the entire episode, or if you hear something you like, but you don't have time to write it down, make sure you grab your free copy of the action plan. Just go to jimharshawjr.com slash action. Bonnie, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jim. I'm so glad we get to connect. I know. I'm glad we got to connect. You and I connected a couple years ago. We have a, uh, a mutual friend in common in my, my former uh, teammate and roommate, Matt Roth, who is also a, an All-American wrestler at the University of Virginia. So glad we were finally able to get you on the podcast. So why don't we start with this, Bonnie? Tell us just a little bit about your background, maybe a 30,000-foot view of kind of where you grew up and, and how you got from there to here. Well, I don't have a 30,000-foot view because I only have one foot. <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> Give us what you can. <laughs> yeah, can't resist a leg joke. Sorry. Uh, yes, I had my leg amputated at age five. I grew up in San Diego and went on to become a ski racer. So it's a crazy story. One-legged black girl from San Diego where there's no <laughs> snow uh, become ski racer and uh, went on to work in the White House, work on Wall Street. I I've had the privilege of being able to work with the best of the best in a lot of different venue. So 
uh, I was at Harvard and I was at Oxford as a Rhodes Scholar, you know, so some of the smartest people in the world and then working in the White House, which is, you know, some of the most powerful people in the world and being in sports, some of the most fit people in the world, you know, and most people don't get a chance to be at the top in such different areas. Yeah. And so for me, it's been fun to, and I, I guess it's a passion of mine is to really understand how to be the best of the best across a lot of these disciplines. And and I you also see a lot of destructive behavior, as you could imagine, you know, even uh, sports people who really uh, chew themselves up, and I'm sure you saw that too, and sort of destroy themselves by with by pushing themselves so hard, and and you see it in sure. Wall Street, and you see it in the White House, and you see it in academia. So so I have a passion for really succeeding, but doing it in a way that you know you can be a good person. So so much to dive into here. Oh my gosh. Okay, so let's start with how did a one legged black girl from Los Angeles become a world class <laughs> skier? How does that happen? <laughs> uh, a friend of mine invited, actually from San Diego. That's okay. But, I'm sorry, uh, San Diego. A friend of yeah. mine invited me to go skiing over Christmas vacation with her family. I remember she she took notebook paper and cut out a little uh, certificate, you know, and, and gave it to me. My birthday's in November, and so I had a month or so to try to find the equipment and figure out how I was going to do it. But uh, but it's you know it's really neat that she even asked because. We're so different. She's white. I'm black. She has two legs. I didn't. Uh, she was lived in uh, La Jolla, California, you know, and I lived in National City, which is the other end of San Diego by the Mexican border where the gangs are, you know. And, uh, you know, she she looked at her one legged friend from the wrong side of the tracks and said, you know, come and go skiing with me. And I, I think I, I do work on diversity as well with a lot of different corporations. And, you know, we talk about how diversity makes us more competitive. And I think that's a great story because, Barbara Warmath reaching out to somebody who's totally different and saying, hey, let's go skiing actually made the U.S. team more competitive. You know, if I hadn't been on the team, the medals wouldn't have gone to Americans. You know, the people behind me were were not American. So I actually won more medals for the U.S. And you were quoted on the Starbucks coffee cup, as I mentioned in the bio. And I'm going to read this quote. So I found the quote. And, and for the listener, I'm going to read this to you. And then we're going to have Bonnie share a little bit about this. So you said, I was ahead in the slalom, but in the second run, everyone fell on a dangerous spot. I was beaten by a woman who got up faster than I did. I learned that people fall down, winners get up, and gold medal, gold medal winners just get up faster. Tell us about that. So, uh, yeah, so I was... I qualified for the U.S. team. I was the third-ranked one-legged woman in the U.S., which is good because I only took three one-legged women on the team. <laughs> so <laughs> after years of training, you know, I just barely squeaked on the team. And, you know, when you're the third-ranked, nobody expects you to beat your teammates, never sure. mind the rest of the world. And so I was just glad to be representing the U.S. That was my goal was to be on the team, to get to go to the Paralympics. And, uh, you know, I was so excited but I did train, you know, I did, I did try to say, I'm going to, I'm going to do the best I can do. So when I got there and I was, the slalom race was first slalom is the really tight turns around the poles. Uh, I finished the first run of the slalom. And when I looked around, I was in first place. I had the the fastest time in the world. It was an upset. Right. And, uh, but I had trained over summer. I'd spent summer on a glacier training with two legged skiers in a regular ski camp. I had just worked, I had outworked the competition so end of the first run, I'm in first place, but it takes two runs combined time to get the medal. So you have to go back up to the top and it's a different course. Again, if you're not in ski racing, you probably think it's like track. You just keep running the same course. But in, in skiing, the, the snow gets all chewed up. You, you can't ski the same run twice. So the second mm-hmm. run is totally different. 
And I'm at the top waiting. A few other women go down and they radio back up that women are crashing. There's this dangerous, icy spot on the second run. So, you know, it's my turn to get in the starting gate. And I'm thinking, no heroics. I just need to have a, a good, if I can stay standing, you know, I can win the gold medal because everyone else is crashing. So you get in the starting gate, the race official counts down three, two, one, go. I'm, I'm hitting the, the red and the blue poles. I get to where I can see the finish line and I think, I've made it. I'm, I'm going to win the gold medal in the whole world. And that's when I hit the ice. And I, I couldn't hold on. I fell in the snow. Can you imagine going from number one in the world to sitting on your butt in yeah. the snow? Devastating. I was I guess, so disappointed. Uh, you know, I just wanted to disappear. But your, your training, your reflexes take over. Before I even made a decision, I got up. I got over the finish line. And when the dust cleared, I was still in third place. Wow. So the the woman who won in that race, had uh, it wasn't that she didn't fall down. She did fall down. So I beat her in the first run. When nothing went wrong, I had the fastest time. I was the best slalom skier. In the second run, it, I fell and she fell. So how did she win? She, did, she wasn't a better skier. She was a quicker getter-upper. Yeah. She won the gold for being the quicker getter-upper. Yeah. So uh, the quote on the Starbucks cup that you read, people fall down, winners get up. Sometimes the gold medal winner is just the person who gets up the fastest. Yeah. I mean, what a easy analogy to the real world and to life, right? I mean, we look at successful people and we think, you know, they just are talented and things go easy for them and they just they go out and execute and, and, and things are in, in, in that and they win and they build successful businesses or win Olympic medals, et cetera. And that's not always the case, right? It's oh, about failure and how such... well you can recover. It's such an important point, especially for kids nowadays, because social media just shows everybody looking perfect. And yeah. uh, my daughter was at UPenn, and they had a record number of suicides. And you would look at somebody's social media afterwards, and they would be the happiest person in the world. Yeah, you know? of course. And they really weren't, but that's what that's what kids see. I, I actually did an article for uh, Quartz. It's QZ.com on the difference between looking extraordinary and being extraordinary. But uh, this is, and, and I, it, the article is actually about a conversation I had with a group of seniors in high school about, you know, what are the differences? And tell and, us a little bit about that conversation in the article. Well, it was interesting because there's so much pressure to look extraordinary for kids nowadays, and they're always posting how cool they are and the cool places they go and what they're doing. But what we when we talked about the actual difference between looking extraordinary and being extraordinary. Um, you know, being extraordinary doesn't always look cool. I, I was when I was mm. training for skiing. I, I lived in remote places where I didn't have a car and I couldn't even go to a movie. You know, and I didn't look cool the whole time I was training. Uh, but it but it was being cool. And so I think sometimes looking extraordinary actually gets in the way of actually living an extraordinary life and yeah. following your dreams. You know, looking extraordinary you do for other people to make them happy. They even said sometimes it makes you feel worse about yourself because you know it's fake. Right. So you don't yeah. actually feel good about yourself. Sure. You're just making yourself look extraordinary. You know you're lying, basically. And it, yeah, so it's draining. It's not really what you want. You're trying to impress other people. Uh, there's a lot of things that, that aren't that healthy about it. It was interesting because a lot of that came from them. They said, one other thing, you know, they, we were, we were like cataloging in two columns. What are the differences? And under uh, looking extraordinary, it's short term. You know, you get a short term boost, but being extraordinary is, is it lasts. Yeah, it's that that knowledge and that deep self belief of of who you really are and what you've really done. Like you know, we I, I've talked about this before on the podcast, but you know, 
in in the sport that I grew up doing in wrestling, when you step to the middle of a wrestling mat and you face off with another man or another boy in high school, you you know deep down if you cut corners, right? If you push yourself on, in every workout and did every rep in the weight room and watched film and, and you know ate the right foods and you know if you did all those things and if you if you didn't then you, you there's this little seed of self doubt but in the same thing here if you if you're you know if you're putting out these 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 images that don't necessarily really represent you these these are your highlight reel and and you know that that's not necessarily who you really are, right? And it, because you want to look cool, but 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 like you, right. I wrote this down. It doesn't feel good. Yeah, yeah it, doesn't, you, it doesn't feel good. Well, and what you said too about training for wrestling and eating the right things and doing all you know, staying at the workout, it it meant you didn't get to go to all the parties. Yeah. And maybe you weren't you know spending money on cool clothes and dressing cool all the time. Sure. You're sweaty and you're you know you're not getting to to fit everybody else's expectation, but right. you could do something extraordinary. Yeah. And yeah. And being extraordinary, like you said, being extraordinary doesn't always look cool. And yeah, so you can't go to the parties and maybe you can't hang out as much and, and you have to do things that, that not everybody else is doing. You look around you and, and if you're doing the same thing that everybody else is doing, you're, you're, you're going to be among the average, right? So you want to be extraordinary. Right. You've got to do yeah. different things. Extraordinary means, yeah. Extraordinary means you don't fit in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there's there's so many great quotes about that, and this is this is one of them. And I'm writing this down right now. Being extraordinary doesn't always look cool, and and again, so this is for high school seniors and high school students, but this is for everybody else too. So for everybody listening, like you have to do things differently if you want different results. You have to do things differently, and you can't compare yourself to everybody else's highlight reel. You can't look at your neighbors, look in your neighbor's driveway and see what's parked there, and compare yourself to that. You can't set your goals, align your goals with that. You can't align with your goals with what you see on Facebook or what the media pushes into your life. You have to align your goals with what's most important to you. And you know what? You may not just fit in, or you may not look cool. And but but if that's if you want something different, then you have to do things differently. Absolutely. And, uh, and the failure, I love your focus on failure too. I've failed at so many things. So let's go there. Um, you know, I, 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 I ask all my guests to share a time where they failed. Cause so Bonnie, we just, I just read through your bio and, you know, Rhodes scholar, Harvard graduating magna cum laude, um, all, you know, obviously an Olympic Paralympic athlete, medalist, world-class, this worked in the white house, all these amazing things. Now you're this amazing, you know, this, this speaker, you travel around the world speaking and coaching, et cetera. Does, does a person like Bonnie St. John fail? Oh, at, at so many things. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I remember in college, I had applied to be in an honors degree and didn't get accepted to the honors degree and made the decision, okay, well, since I didn't get into the honors degree, I'm going to finish out this semester and then I'm going to take time off and train for skiing. Had I not, had I gotten into that honors degree, I probably wouldn't have gone to the Olympics. Wow. So I failed at that. There's, uh, I submitted proposals to get books published that have failed. I I wrote a children's book. It's never been published. Um, you know, I can, there's boatloads of things I failed at, (laughs) but you don't, you don't see it. You know, that's not what you put on your resume, but if you, it's your up at bats, right? And I know this is what you talk about is if you have a lot more up at bat, you have a lot more failure, but you also have a lot more home runs. The only way to never have failure is never get up at bat. Yeah. And people don't remember your failures. People remember your successes. Here's a, here's a legendary failure is, um, I, so I got a scholarship to go to a ski racing academy in Vermont in senior year of high school. And okay. And prior to getting that scholarship, I failed at a lot of other attempts to try to fund my ski racing. Cause I was living in Southern California. 
uh, with, with no money and, and trying to be a ski racer. So I needed to go somewhere where there was snow. I needed to get coaches. And I, I, I tried a lot of things that failed. And I even, I applied to this school and I tried to raise the money and I failed to raise the money. So I called the headmaster before school was going to start and said, I'm glad you accepted me to the school, but I, I failed to raise the money. You know, I had sent out all these proposals. He knew what I was doing and he said, come anyway. So that's how I got a full wow. scholarship was I failed to raise the money, but I still tried. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I think if I hadn't tried to raise the money, you know, I was sending out proposals to companies and networking and doing all these things. If I just showed up and said, can I have a free scholarship? I don't think that would have worked. Right. So you, you got to try. Sure. You got to put the effort in. So I finally get to this school. This is my dream, you know, all the way from San Diego, all the way to Vermont. Like it's about as far away as you can get from home and still be in the U.S. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I get, I get there and I had to scrape together money to get my airfare out there. You know, it's crazy. So I get there and on the first day of school, I fall off a ski simulator and break my ankle. Oh my goodness. Let's be clear. <laughs> I only have one ankle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So walking around on crutches, you know, in rural Vermont, dirt roads and no sidewalks, uh, if you're, if you're on crutches on an artificial leg, there's, there's nothing real touching the ground. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> um, it was so hard. And I, but I still went to the gym. I still did abs workouts and weight workouts. I couldn't run. I couldn't go on the soccer field. Still went to classes. Six weeks later, I finally got out of the cast and I was, I was started. I was like, Oh, now I can run across the soccer field. And I start to run and there's this sickening snap and it's the sound of my artificial leg breaking wow. in half. Oh, goodness. So uh, I call up the place it was made in Los Angeles. They agree to, uh, they can fix it in a day. I express mail it out there. I'm waiting. It doesn't come back. A week, it doesn't come back. Two weeks. Doesn't... They shipped it accidentally book rate, surface rate. It took three weeks to get my <laughs> leg. So, I mean, those are just a few failures sure. we can talk about. <laughs> sure. And I just want to point out for the listener, like, it's so easy to sit here and talk and laugh about these looking back. But you, the listener, are in, you know, so you have some kind of self-doubt holding you back, right? So if you're the young Bonnie St. John who applies to an honors program and gets rejected, do you start thinking, well, gosh, I couldn't go to Harvard. Well, I certainly couldn't go to Harvard and graduate magna cum laude. I certainly couldn't be a Rhodes Scholar, right? Because you got rejected from an honors program. So we have these failures. We have these reasons to have self-doubt, but so does everybody else, right? So does everybody else who's, who's achieved incredible, extraordinary things. Yeah. So wait, I want to, um, so at, when I was at Burke Mountain Academy, one of the things that's amazing about that story of breaking both of my legs and one gets lost in the mail and all that <laughs> is it could have, it could have meant like you're saying, go home. Sure. You failed yeah. at this school. A, these are signs. Yeah. These are, yeah. Yeah. You're, you don't have a leg left to stand on. <laughs> <laughs> you love the one legged jokes. That's great. I do. You can tell. <laughs> um, but, uh, when people ask me, why didn't you go home? And when I look back and I think about it, I think, you know, I tried so hard to get there. That was my dream. I wasn't going to go home unless somebody made me go home. And I thought the principal would say, you know, you should go home. Or my mom would say, call up and say, you're trying to kill my daughter. You know, I, I thought some adult was responsible adult would stop me. But in the absence of that, I wasn't going to stop myself. And if you don't stop yourself, if you don't let failure stop you inside yourself, you know, what can stop you? I, I had the privilege of, of running into the uh, coach, the guy who was the head coach there, Finn Gunderson. We were in at the big, when the Winter Olympics was going on earlier this year, we were all in uh, Utah in Park City. 
And I asked him, I said, you know, what were you thinking when I broke both my legs and it was all going so badly? And he goes, I know, me and the headmaster, we were like, this is our first disabled athlete and we broke her. <laughs> you know, what did we do? But they didn't, they didn't stop me either, you know? So uh, you're right. The point is not letting failure tell you that that's the end, is failure is a beginning. So what about surrounding yourself with the right people? Because like, it sounds like you had some, some great coaches and the headmaster at the school and who didn't discourage you, didn't say, you know, man, maybe this isn't for you. Maybe you're not cut out for this. Maybe these, these are signs. I mean, but you, you were surrounded by the right people. I mean, is that, I guess, how important is that, number one? Oh, I think and, it's completely important. But it's also who you listen to because you're not always going to be surrounded by the right people. Yep, that was my second question. How do you do it's that? It's funny. Give it, give it that example of, you know, the headmaster, they, they supported me anyway. I ran into also in Park City, not at the same time, but I ran into uh, Barbara Warmouth's mother. So the, the girl who invited me to go skiing for the first time, I ran into her mother years later. And she apologized. And I said, what? You, you took me skiing and changed my life. She said, I know, but at the end of that first week of skiing with you, I tried to discourage you from ever skiing again. You know, I said, swimming's a great sport. You were bruised. You were bleeding. I was like, you know, it's not working. And I don't even remember her saying that. Wow. So it's not only who you surround yourself with, it's what you tune into. And if you're listening, you know, are you listening to the people who are saying you can, or are you listening to the people who are saying you can't? Because they will all be there, right? Yeah. There's, there's a wide variety of people. And I think you can tune into and try to hear more of the people who tell you you can, and just spend less time listening to the people who tell you you can't. But they're all there. Yeah, that's a great point. They're all there. Who do you choose? It's a choice. Who do you choose to tune into? Who do you choose to listen to? And if those people aren't directly in your life, then pick up a book or listen to podcasts yeah. like this. And, and you, can, you can filter these people into your life and you can filter these people out of your life if you need to. Well, well and there's some people you can't get rid of. You know, if you have a boss or a, a family member or something who is, who is really negative, you, know, you can't always say they're out of my life. You, know? so it's, it's, you, can, you can outnumber them, right? And that's what you're saying by listening yeah. to podcasts, by reading books, by having friends. You, know, you can drown out those voices <laughs> that you might not be able to get rid of. Sure. Did you ever use mantras or affirmations, positive self-talk, things like that? It's interesting. I grew up in California, which is, you know, the place where all that stuff happens. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and my mother was uh, very into positive thinking. My mother had a really hard childhood. She, uh, her mother was an alcoholic. Her father left before she was born. Uh, and, and she was black at a time when schools were segregated. She, she even told us uh, about a lynching that happened when, when she was, I mean, it, Goodness, it was hard. Wow. We, we cannot imagine how hard sure. it was. And so she had a lot of demons and she, she really worked to stay positive. So she wrote affirmations, like you're saying, wrote positive statements, like she write the same thing over and over and over again for hours. And she would, she took me to motivational speakers. We did uh, transcendental meditation and we got mantras and we meditated and, uh, you know, she struggled, but she struggled. I mean, she, she would be depressed sometimes, but she would work so hard to stay positive. And she got herself through school. She got her PhD. She became an educator. She made a huge difference for uh, so many people, not only the students she had, but the faculty and the parents and, and everything. And so I did learn to, uh, to, to be resilient and to, to stay positive and to work at it, hmm. not just to hope, but to really work at it. 
It's interesting, Bonnie. I asked that question and hear just a lot of, a lot of my guests bring that up and how many successful people do things like that. Most of us, and a lot of people think that's corny, the affirmations and things like that and positive self-talk. And it's like, but who does that? Well, really successful people do that. And I don't just mean world-class athletes. I mean, People like your mom who grew up in segregation and, and, you know, had a, a, you know, experience or, you know, there's a lynching maybe in the town or wherever, somewhere near there and like experience that stuff in their life. And, and yet they grow up to be an influential educator and a great mother and just an amazing person. And so, you know, right. you can become bitter and you can become negative, but it, but in order to not do, it's like working out at the gym. If you want your body to stay fit, you have to actually take action. And if you want your, your attitude to stay fit, you actually have to take action. Um, I did a Ted talk recently on, uh, how to have a first aid kit for your attitude. Yeah. And so, you know, you're going to have cuts and bruises and burns. So you keep a first aid kit in the house. Well, you know, your attitude is going to take hits from time to time too. So why not be prepared to, how can I turn my attitude around quickly? Somebody said, did you have a, a bad day or did you just have a bad five minutes that you let ruin your day? Uh, great point. <laughs> yeah. And, and so I think this is the topic of your book, Micro Resilience, right? Micro Resilience, minor shifts from major boosts in focus, drive, and energy. And I think this is one of the, one of the pieces that you talk about in that book. Is that right? Absolutely. Thank you. And it's, um, it's small hacks that you can do to be more resilient. A lot of people think of resilience as recovering from really bad things. So uh, recovering from a hurricane or cancer or, you know, turning your life around. But we're looking at micro resilience is little tiny ways to be resilient. So even if you're you're doing pretty well, how can you do better? How can you be more competitive? How can you be more resilient today than you were yesterday? So that's what we're looking at is the the little things that give you an edge. So for the listener, I will have a link to Bonnie's book in the action plan. But Bonnie, can you give us a couple sneak peeks of what some of these hacks might be? Well, let me give you a real uh, a fundamental piece of it. When we were looking at the research, and it's all very research-based, but when we look at the research, something that really caught our eye was a, a researcher who was looking at why certain tennis players always win. And you know, if you're looking at uh, the U.S. Open, uh, there's there's so many world class players, but you're usually looking at a handful of names because they're consistently winning us. And he wanted to know what what puts you in that category. And of course, people have different skills. Maybe somebody runs harder or serves 90 miles an hour. But is there a consistent factor that sort of puts you in that category? And he couldn't find any any one thing. He was watching video and everything, and then he started watching video of what they did between the volleys, between the points. And a pattern immediately jumped out. He said, everybody thought I was crazy, though, because I'm looking at tennis players not playing tennis to try to understand how they win. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, but he said the pattern that jumped out was they were little behaviors that they did to restore their, their focus, their drive, and their energy. So little things just like put your racket in your other hand and rest your racket. Don't be looking at the crowd and getting distracted. Sort of focus inward. And then he started, he put heart rate monitors on them and he started asking them about their inner self-talk. And hmm. there, they would, there was a way that they could turn themselves around quickly and go into the next point. Now, if you, you could be distracted because you lost the last point, right? And you're dwelling on that and you're not focused on the next point. So turning around and getting to the next point is important. But you can equally be distracted by winning the last point. Yeah. So it, it's, it's that ability to turn around quickly. So we loved that insight. That's kind of what started us on the road of thinking about micro resilience. If, if world-class tennis players, if what gives you the edge are these small behaviors, and it, it's now well accepted in tennis, like 
if you look up the Federer's training camp, they, they talk about doing the 16 second cure, you know, and that's what you do between the points. But we wanted to apply that to the rest of us. You know, if you're running a busy day, going 16 hours a day, you know, how can you also recover between the points in your day? And, and for me, it wasn't something that comes naturally. And I don't know about you, but I've always been the drive yourself until you drop kind of person. Yeah, I just push too. yourself really hard till you <laughs> fall over and then you sure. go, see, I'm so tough. I pushed myself until I fell over. But this is different. And it's really gotten me to think differently and have different habits of uh, recovering, you know, not waiting till the end of the tennis match to recover, not waiting till the yeah. end of your day or the end of your week or your next yeah. vacation to recover. If we do small, small evidence based recoveries during the day, we can sustain our A game a lot longer. And that's interesting. So think for the listener, think about when you walk out of your boss's office after a tough, tough conversation, or you get in a fight with your spouse, or you, I don't know, maybe eat a, a meal tough, that's tough out customer, of line. With, you know, yeah, customer, tough customer. Yeah. yeah. When you get upset. Yeah. So what can we do? What What are the little things that we can? Because a lot of people just maybe hang their head, or they ruminate and they stew about that conversation or something that they just did. I mean, what What should we be doing? Like the first aid kit for your attitude is just looking at what are some things you can do to turn your attitude around. And, and what, what helps you is going to be different than what helps me. But uh, you can actually put together a physical kit that has things. It could have photos. It could have mementos from a vacation. It could have thank you notes. So when you have that customer that you know tears you to shreds, you, you can read thank you notes from all the customers that appreciate you and, and, and again, shift your focus. So that you don't stay focused on the one customer who is, you know, driving you crazy versus all the ones who really value you. Um, so, so you can shift the focus. Now, a lot of people will do their first aid kit on their phone too. You can just do it digitally. If you travel a lot like I do, uh, that can make a big difference. We, we had uh, one woman who we featured in the book. We featured a lot of real people in the book that we helped with this. But she was a jet-setting executive traveling all the time. So she put her first aid kit on her phone. And she would look at it, you know, during taxi rides or waiting in the airport, things like that. And she was struggling before she started working with us. She was really struggling with getting bad 360s because she was so harsh. She was such a slave driver. You know, she for a couple of years, she had gotten really difficult 360s and everything she tried didn't change it. She got coaches. But when she started using the micro resilience techniques, the first aid kit and some of the other techniques, it shifted her energy. And so she actually was able to uh, to be a better leader because she shifted her energy in the way she was approaching things. And, and she was really encouraging resilience, not just driving. Um, but the funny part, the side effect was she started dating. She hadn't dated in four years. And so she started dating. And we, we actually see that a couple of times in micro resilience with some of the people we work with, because it gives you more energy and you have more energy for life as well as for work. Yeah, so true. I find that that true in every aspect of life. It's usually the the energy and the resilience and the mindset that that, that leads to that leads to success. I remember back again, just referencing my, my wrestling career when I made the breakthrough from like uh, a, a good wrestler to an all American elite wrestler. It was, it, it, I didn't learn any new moves. There was, I wasn't any bigger or stronger or faster or anything like that, but it was this, it was what was going on between my ears. You know, when I walked from from the out of bounds back to the center, when there was a break in the action, it was the the mindset stuff and the resilience that that I had worked on in in the year between my junior year and senior year that really makes the difference. And this is this is real world stuff. You look at people who work really hard and accomplish amazing things, and and other people who work twice as hard 
and and don't really get anywhere. It's like you you got to evaluate, you know, it, you know, like these tennis players who were, who were you know same you know serve speed, same position, same technique, same posture, but one wins more than the other. And what's the difference there? It's and the consistently, mindset. consistent, Being consistent, yeah, 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 yeah. sure. So they can, if you're listening, you can go to microresilience.com. And if you go about halfway down the site, there's a place where you can click and you can watch like six little videos that gives you uh, tips on some of these, these hacks. But one example that I think that you would love, Jim, because we're both athletes is, is exercise. I had a real epiphany about uh, using exercise, not just for fitness, but there's research that shows it actually makes you smarter for hours afterwards. It makes wow. you better able to recall memories, better able to make insights and inferences across uh, different areas and and come up with new ideas. And wow. so we tend to think of, well, I've got to exercise three times a week and get sweaty and get stronger. But if you if you think and, and if you have that mindset, sort of the the macro resilient mindset, then you might think, oh, I have a really busy day today. I worked out yesterday. I work out tomorrow. I, I don't have time to work out today. But if you have a micro resilient mindset, then what you say is, you know what, I've got to give a speech today, or I've got to finish a proposal today. I, I can't afford not to be smarter. So I'm going to do a little bit of exercise in the morning before I dig into that work. And it might not look like getting really sweaty for an hour, you know, it might not look like the exercise you do to stay fit. But you can use a little bit of exercise and movement to get your brain going, get your blood flowing, and, and perform better on that day. So it's it's really changed the way I do exercise as well because some exercise I do just for fitness and some I do for performance to yeah. be, to perform my work. It's interesting, yeah. When when you start adding another layer of as to the why, the why you should work out. It's not just for fitness, but it's for focus and performance and intelligence and recall, all those things. It, it's you you start to realize even more that this is something that I have to do. It's is something that is. That is, they're, I'm going to get a return on this investment. It's not and it, a, it's and it not shows spending up time or wasting time. Yeah, we were talking about the treadmill desk. And so I got a treadmill desk a couple yeah. of years ago, and I love it because it does allow me to add a little bit of movement in. You know, it's not my whole fitness plan is to have a treadmill desk because you don't run. Like, I don't run on a treadmill desk. You're just walking while you're doing email or something else. But, um, but it allows me to just get more movement in my day, spend less time sitting, and, uh, and again, uh, it correlates with these studies that show you're going to be more innovative. You're going to have more ideas if you're moving. And so for the listener who's always uh, waiting for that moment where I ask about a tool or tip or a tactic or a technology, that's it for Bonnie. She talked about this before we hit record about having a treadmill desk. And it's one of those things where you go, well, that's kind of weird. I have a standing desk in my office and people look at that and go, man, that's weird. Jim, he stands up and works at his computer. And, and yeah, sure, it's weird. It's different, but it helps me be more focused and, and more productive. And a treadmill desk is, is the next level of weird. So, so Bonnie's got me it's there. Funny you, it's funny you say it's weird because I, I tour. I mean, because I, I speak all over the country. I'm going I should say I'm jealous. I've wanted one for years. I just haven't so gotten you, around to getting one. So it's I not it. that – yeah, you can get it. And if you can just get the treadmill to go under your desk. It doesn't have to be a treadmill with a whole stand like sure. you see in the gym and everything. Anyway, um, I see it a lot more in offices now. I, I was in uh, Girls on the Run office in Charlotte, and they had like three treadmill desks. And you don't – uh, work at it all the time. Like nobody could work at a treadmill right. desk all day long. And so they just have a few in a room. And so people check it out. You know, you sign up, I want the treadmill desk at three, you know, or I want the treadmill desk at, and people go and they work. And I, and I yeah. see this more and more in offices. I think it's great. It's so much healthier than sitting in your desk. Yeah, I agree. Not weird. It's healthy. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm with you. I love the weird. So, uh, I'm with you. Bonnie, can you share with us 
an action item, something that the listener can do in the next, let's say, 24 or 48 hours to start moving towards their goals. My listeners like to get concrete, actionable things out of these episodes. Is there something that you would recommend for us? I guess I would say um, in, in the Micro Resilience book, we talk about purpose, renewing your purpose and uh, getting in touch with your purpose and infusing purpose into your life and into your day. And so I would say if there's something that you're passionate about, like you want to write a book or you want to start a podcast or, you know, you want to paint a picture, you know, or something that that maybe you're not doing in your work now, but you would like to be, um, find an hour a week to do it. Just add it into your schedule. So it may not be the whole thing that you get to do. When I was going to write my first book, I would spend a couple of hours a week on a Saturday morning working on my book. And I had a job and I had a baby and I had a lot of, of uh, responsibilities, but but I could do that. And I would feel like I'm a writer because I'm doing a little bit. And I, and I you know, and you get that feeling of inspiration. When I was a skier, I was working uh, waitressing tables at one point in uh, Colorado. And uh, I wasn't just slinging hash and eggs at truckers. I was on my way to the Olympics, you know. And so just having uh, a little bit of uh, your passion in your life, you can feel like you're on your way and you can get inspired by that. And then it starts to build. And should I say snowball, to use a ski analogy? Yeah. So, um, so if you can just find an hour or two a week to do something you're passionate about, don't feel like, oh, well, that's stupid. That's not going to make any difference. Let it inspire you. And for the listener, you know, I always say this, but saying this means saying no to something else. If you're going to block off an hour to spend on your passion and your purpose, you have to say no to something else. And that something else could be your family and kids, which is not something you'd want to say no to. But that something else could also be going out to drink beer with friends or watching TV, TV, right? Uh, Scrolling through social media, right? Things that, things that don't bring as much value in your life as, as this hour could, could bring to you. So I encourage you to look at your calendar, add this as a block of time and, and take action on what Bonnie just shared with us there. Bonnie, how about a book? Uh, certainly, we'll have links to your books and especially your most recent book, microresilience.com. We'll have that in the action plan for the listener. Um, but also, is, is there another book that you can share with us that you would recommend? Uh, if I uh, to recommend somebody else's book, I would love to say Tiffany Dufu. Have you heard of her? D-U-F-U I've not. before? Uh, she wrote a book that came out uh, beginning of l- last year, I think, um, called Drop the Ball. And it's really interesting because like you were just saying, we get so overextended. We're doing so many things. You know, how do you cut out something in order to make room for what you really want? And uh, she talks about drop the ball. And it also, you know, it comes down to being also about letting other people help you, letting enlisting other people at work, not trying to do everything and trying to be perfect. And that when you let go of some of those things, you can be great at what you really want to be great at. You can focus on what your priorities are. Um, you, you can be better with family. You can be better at work when you're not trying to do everything for everybody. And so if that's a problem, uh, that anybody is interested in, it's a great, she calls it a memoir manifesto is, you know, how she learned some of these hard lessons and, uh, what she does about it. Her social media is pretty interesting too, because she's always giving examples of how to drop the ball. And it, it is kind of a, a lesson in failure too, because sometimes like on her posts, it's like, well, I, I forgot to, you know, pack my daughter's uh, gym costume and she didn't get to do that. Oh, well, you know, but she's, <laughs> she's kind of saying I'm not perfect and that's yeah. okay. 
That's fantastic. So I'll have a link to her social media. Why don't I just do that for the listener too? Maybe uh, link up her social media in the action plan so that the listener can check her out. So thank you. That's a new book recommendation for us. She, so thank she you. She would be a great. Uh, she would be a great person to interview too because uh, it does it. sink in well with the the idea of failure. Is yeah. really you can't be great if you try to do everything. All right, I'm writing her name down as a. Uh, prospective guests for the podcast. So thank you, Bonnie. Why don't you take a minute to promote yourself, share a little bit you know, more about where we can find you, follow you, uh, find your books, et cetera. Oh, well, thank you. I'm on Instagram. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. So you can do all of those things with me. And uh, we'd love to post tips about micro-resilience. We'd love to hear your stories about using micro-resilience and post those too. Um, the books, Micro Resilience, uh, the previous books to that, Live Your Joy, How Great Women Lead. Uh, what I do now where I spend a lot of my time is on leadership, training leadership. So training them for micro resilience or uh, we do a lot of women's leadership, tech, tech women's leadership and uh, love to get to do that. Travel around, teach virtually. Uh, so those are the things I'm doing. Excellent. Blue, oh, sorry. The website that you should look at is bluecircleinstitute.com. BlueCircleInstitute.com. Excellent. And again, for the listener, if you didn't memorize all those links, et cetera, there, we'll have those in the action plan. Go to JimHarshawJr.com slash action. Bonnie, thank you so much for making time to come on the show. Thank you. This is great work you're doing. Well, it makes a likewise. difference for people. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. And for the listener, until next time, take the time to get clear on your goals and embrace failure as a stepping stone on your path to success. Mm-hmm.